Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, my very special guest is poet and author Bikshani Weisbrot. Her professional bio is prominently featured on the Blog Talk Radio information page, but I would like to highlight the following. She has worked in the United Nations for 25 years and is the president of the United Nations SRC Society of Writers. She's also the editor, along with Elizabeth Lara and Daryl Alejandra Holmes of Happiness, The Delight Tree, an anthology of contemporary international poetry honoring the International Day of Happiness, which is March 20th. This book brings together poets from 67 countries with poems in 35 languages, and her most recent work has appeared in On Human Flourishing, a poetry anthology by McFarlane and Co. I'd like to welcome Bikshani to the program. Welcome. How are you tonight? Thank you. All right. Good to be here. (laughs) Good. I'm so glad you're here. Let's begin this poetic journey. Are you ready? I'm ready, yes. (laughs) Okay. What is poetry? Oh, you're asking a poem right away. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Um, I really like the, the word communion in poetry. I think... For me, poetry is an art form of communion. Um, You know, to write a poem, I bring to the table all my notes, my observations, my intentions of what I try to write, and then try to be in a state of silence. I think to listen to a greater silence, to which we give many names. Um, I offer something of my sincerity and my devotion to the poem and, and try to follow the heartbeat or the life of the poem and allow it to, you know, to reveal itself to me, really, and to you, I hope. All right. You know, I'd like to talk more about the communion piece. Tell me more about communion. That's such a, it's a nice word, and it means different things to different people. Are you there? Um, to me, communion, well, I, I engage in, in the practice of meditation, um, and it's an essential part of my life and also my, po- my poetic life. I think I'm in writing, I'm always trying to work in, in two worlds, an inner world, um, a deeper silence, which connects hopefully to something very deep within myself and an outer world, which is my observation and, um, you know, my own thoughts. All right. You know, knowing what we know about poetry, and I like the term, the word heartbeat. This is a heartbeat of a poem. Why is poetry important, between me? Well, I mean, all art is important at all times. 
um, from whatever point of entry, I think the decision to create something rather than to destroy something is an important and a life-altering decision. Um, in poetry, if we make room for the voices of all, all those who have decided to share something of themselves, that's universality, that's oneness. And also through poetry, I can find how things I'm, I'm in need of understanding, places and perspectives I can't get to. And everything can be important to someone at some time. Um, now, I like that. That is true. Everything can be important to someone at some time. I mean, that's an eloquent way of saying it. Very, very nice. Thank you. Please share a poem. I'm going to read a set of poems, and I'll pause. Um, called Areas of Concern, which are exactly that, recent poems on various things which were occupying a lot of my thoughts. I'll start with one of the only poems I wrote specifically on the pandemic, and it's a very short poem. As of 7 July 2021, four million souls to the infinite fly, ash and bone and dust and sky. And that's the end of that poem. It's a very short poem. All right. All right. Would you do me a favor and share it again? I like hearing them twice. As of 7 July 2021, Four million souls to the infinite lie, ash and bone and dust and sky. What is actually the purpose of that particular piece? I think it was in commemoration of the number of deaths um, that had happened at that time. And it was my writing response and my um, my concern. So I yes, just I understand. Very simple. That's mm -hmm. very simple poem. Yes, very nice. You know, as you think about your body of work, what are some of the predominant things? I think human life, nature. Um, spiritual longing. I've written poems on family stories. So many, so many different things. I hope you get a stronger sense. Um, this is a particular, specific kind of set, um, which dealt with all our sort of woes at this current time. But. Mm -hmm. I've written rhyming poems. I've written poems just for the exploration of something I wanted to know. Um, but I think those are the basic things. You know, in terms of spiritual longing, I've hosted a number of programs over the years on spirituality and poetry. Tell me about the longing piece. What are you thinking? I think it's an inner hunger, which I think many artists have, and we give it different names. I mean, certainly to identify it more through my 
practice of meditation and having Sri Chinmoy as a spiritual teacher, um, it's something that is always with me. It's a cry, an inner cry to kind of discover and master your inner self and to use those aspects of your inner life towards service and towards being a good citizen of the world. Wow. You know, it's so difficult for many to find that, I'm going to call it inner peace or inner life. Poetry does provide an opportunity for you to think about that, to put it, on, put it in words, to say it, to share it, but it can be so difficult. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, poetry is yes. a place mm-hmm. where, um, and, and also in the best, in the best of times, you are illumined in some way at the end of a poem, like mm-hmm. in your poetic mm-hmm. journey. The surprise yes. is sometimes an, an illumination, and I think that is um, that is part of the inner relationship, that communion I was talking about. Oh, very nice. I like that. You know, when you write, when you write, how does a poem begin for you? With an idea? an image or form? I'm very visual. Um, So often I see something that needs to be, you know, in a poem. I also have ideas or hear fragments of conversation or something that has surfaced from my meditation, something I need to further explore. And sometimes it's just something that I I feel need tension, you know, like, like this season. Um, or the raccoons in my backyard. Um, All right. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Please share a poem for me, please. (laughs) Um, This this second poem, um, the title of this poem actually came to me before the actual poem, and I think it really helped me to decide how to describe homelessness in my neighborhood. This poem is called Night Motel. A body makes an impression in a bed of leaves. Along the garden wall, a love seat from a flattened bush. Nearby, the usual beer bottles plus food, utensils, and other debris. Leftovers of men who eat out. Sometimes I talk out loud with disapproval as I gather their things. Those men who disappear at sunrise, and I do not know. But I cannot look away. On cold days, I have thought to leave that slab of cardboard just as it is, face down, slightly slanted by a recent wind. And so too the jacket, which hangs heavy on the branch of a young tree, even as the temperature rises. That's Night Motel. Wow. Wow. It was beautiful. Thank you. Let's go back in your poetic past. What was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? I think 
the very early experience was when we, as a family, read this, the Haggadah for the Passover Seder out loud. Um, mm -hmm. It's the story, you know, of the Jews' liberation from Egypt. And it was the only time we as a family gathered together to read out loud. And there are different parts. And my sisters and I would be very crafty and try to get the good parts, like to be the wise son <laughs> rather than the one who wits not to ask, you know. And right. There was also, right? So, and <laughs> my mother, there was poetry as well in the Haggadah, and my mother used to read, and maybe it was from Songs of Solomon, I'm not sure, but there was a line that went something like, what ails thee see that thou dost flee? And she would read that with such, you know, joy, you know, and such mm. love for the words. And I think, I think that was probably the earliest uh, recollection I have of how that poem could move her and, and the rest of us by listening. All right. So as we think about present day, how does your poetry differ now than when you started writing? I think I'm more confident about having two feet in reality, you know, and at the same time, as I said, like listening to that silence, I think there's more clarity. I think I, I hear closer to I, what, what I care about and what I want to say. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and I like listening. On, I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. No, just like I, I noticed that I like to draw on so many things around me, you know, in my range mm -hmm. of experience and in things from my life. So. Mm -hmm. You know, I, what I was going to share is that the word listen or listening is one that we don't often do enough. So listening oh, to a poet, to truly <laughs> listening to a poet, that really takes a skill in my mind because you've got to suspend your own beliefs and allow that poet to and, uh, and be open enough to listen, in quotes, to another person's lived experience. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have our choice of what we'd like to listen to, but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the beauty of poetry is that you, you know, you make room for a new voice. You you pay attention. Um, definitely, listening is well. It's important. I like your way of thinking. <laughs> I've got a smile on my face. I like your way of thinking. Please share another poem. That's good. <laughs> this, this poem, um, I was invited to write a poem for World Food Day, which is uh, celebrated annually on the 16th of October to commemorate the founding of the Food and Agriculture Organization of the UN. So this poem... Um, is called Meditation on Hunger, and 
there's a reference in it to a Jewish prayer called the Shechayanu, which is a prayer of newness or for the first of something. My mother said this and, and had us say it very often as we grew up so that we would be attentive to things and we could easily have overlooked as being insignificant. This is meditation on hunger. This is a bit longer, this poem. Um, so this was our harvest. A single tomato from two vines. Some said there was too much sun or too much rain, but we got what we got. Be grateful, I said, with wisdom that came from thinking about hunger for many days and images and words that had shattered my imagination. At 12, an old man rummaging through the trash for food on my first field trip to the UN. At 14, kwashiorkor, hot bellies and slatted ribs of Biafran children, and forever the ghost faces of the newly liberated from the concentration camp Dachau. Who feeds the heaven dreams of the hungry? We will have a ceremony, my friend said. So we cut the fruit in equal parts, which I salted and held on my tongue as she began the Shechechianu. Baruch Atah Adonai, sing-songing to the finish. Then we clinked our glasses and toasted, Chaim, to life. My master once gave these instructions. Buy this girl some food, he said on my birthday. It was his affection. But now I'm thinking, when was my famine? When had it begun for each of us? An insatiable hunger, an unquenchable thirst. My cat comes to the door after a heavy rain. As long as she is with me, I will feed her. Soon it will be time to put on my sari, perhaps the one with butterflies, and continue the nurturing task of feeding others. Let me not forget this benediction, this prayer for plenitude. Anam Brahma, food is God. That's meditation. You worked with Dr. Hiram LaRue, I believe, right? On this project? I worked with. On which project? I'm sorry. Uh, Hiram LaRue? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I did, and and when this poem was was posted, I think after yeah. Yeah, sir, he's an incredible man, incredible man. Now, when you think about writing, what are you attempting to communicate with your art? I think I'm really not attempting anything. You know, when I write, I think it's a very okay. I think I'm simply working with the material in hand. And my 
solitude and my devotion to this experience of the poem. Um, I don't think about a public or I don't think about any of that. It's a very, um, I share poems afterwards and I, I'm pleased sometimes with, with the poem, but it's really, it's really a, um, more a meditative experience, I think, for me. Now, how important is it to Bixini to express emotion, some form of emotion in your work? And I guess I ask oh, that yes. because there are some people, I'm wondering, this is my question, do you think someone can be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? That's my question. I, I would never assume to think, I, I just would, I just, I wouldn't, I just don't think in that direction. I can answer it for myself. Mm -hmm. um, when I talked before about the heartbeat, there, there are moments in a poem where it's deeply emotional for me, where I have to take a, a break from the poem um, and come back to it. And I've learned how to do that. I, I'll expose myself to that experience, and often the poems that are the poems I consider the best are poems that, you know, shatter my heart in some way, whether for the for the better or for the worse. So I, <laughs> right. I have to, I have to feel that. I have to feel that myself. I don't really know. Right. I think I, I did have some insight at some time about, mm -hmm. you know, I was writing a poem and it was very difficult. It was a difficult poem to write. And I was reading other people's work at the time. And I, I began to understand that, you know, if, if something of, of trauma comes up during a poem or you're writing on the subject of war or something which is by nature traumatic, mm -hmm. you may not have or the, t the tools at hand to enter deeply into that. And maybe words can also be used. So I think that's up to the poet, how deeply they need to go, how deeply they want to go. I don't think it's... I don't think you can call someone less or more of an artist for making a different choice. Wow. Again, your statements to me are very wise. I enjoy listening to you share your thoughts about the art and craft of poetry. What I'd like to know before you share another work is, is a poem letting your wall down or building a guard? Well, it's kind of a continuation of, of what I was just saying. I think it can be both. Um, mm -hmm. I, I know what, again, there's so many different kinds of poets and poetry. You know, so I can only, again, say what it is for me. I, I have more faith in the relationship of that communion as I go along in my spiritual life. So I can, I can go deeper into a poem. So maybe for me, it is 
something when I write personal poems or it is a way of um, letting yourself experience something um, where you have a kind of vulnerability at the same time you're trying to have control of the language so that there is a sense in writing of self-offering you don't want to do you know, I mean, that's that's where the choice of your words and what to include and what not to include come in. So that's part of the craft, I think, for me. You know, before we take a very brief break, very brief break, you know, so much is happening in our world. You shared a poem about hunger, and there's so many issues. You work for the United Nations, and you talk about issues all the time. What do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? I think, for me, um, to be a truth server, to be someone who uses... I try to use my meditation to be courageous to an extent for myself um, I think in some way we're, we're challenging what we perceive as ignorance and also I like to allow poetry to be sacred if that is what it is you know to me as a poet um, it's a way there's a poem that Sri Chimoy wrote a very short poem it says be truly spiritual, the world will be speechless. And in some way, I think when I write, I'm trying to learn how to be truly spiritual in the world. Um, through And poetry is one of the powerful vehicles, I think. Very nice. Let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back. back. I am here with Shani Weisbrock. Please share a poem. If you don't mind, I'd like to read the next two poems one after oh, another. They're both, they're both um, war poems of which I wrote many when the war in Ukraine began. The, the first is based on a famous story um, told in my family about how my maternal grandparents met. Both my maternal and paternal grandparents came from the same place, 
Galicia, which is in western Ukraine. I read this first poem with a dedication I later added. It's called Yet Another War. And I dedicate this to my spiritual sister, Natalia Kashuk, who was killed near her flat by the train station in the city of Donetsk, Ukraine. Yet another war. I never knew them, but here is the story told in my family of how my maternal grandfather met his wife. Somewhere in Galicia, which we now know was Ukraine, in an imagined summer resort, a young woman alone in the night makes her way to the outhouse. Under the guiding full moon, her long blonde hair shines golden. This is all a young man with similar purpose sees of her from the distance. Golden hair, fragrant summer night, full moon. Certain it is love and resolute, he succeeds in the coming days to find and woo her. This morning I receive good news. A friend from Kiev has made it to the train station and in six hours will leave her country and her home. I imagine her as my grandmother, walking alone, free and unafraid in the night, to stand beneath the full moonlight long enough to fulfill a young man's wish for love. And the second poem I'd like to read, which is also a poem of war, is called From This Side of Freedom. In earnest, I'm trying to experience what she has felt in this obscenity of war. Imagine fleeing into a shifting unimaginable, a freedom of sorts, like skydiving the moment you stand at the edge and with all your will say go, wishing to land with a soft tumble far afield and under. Here I romanticize a premium sky of lucid blue as I plan my future. For those who learned to live in the forest before me, maybe they left instructions and one can make a meal of forage if need be. And I would pray hard and believe because Lord, I am need. In real life, I offer her a glass of water with lemon. I offer it with both hands and with care hoping it will feel familiar. It will feel like a piece of home. And those are my two poems wow. on war. You know, sometimes I don't always know what to say. I hear such powerful work like those two pieces. Extremely touching. Sorry? I think it's just extremely touching to hear your work, those poems. Sometimes I don't know See, one of, the, one of the things about poetry that I like 
is it can create an environment where empathy can breathe, live, exist. I don't know your story in totality, but as I think about the potential feelings that go along with that story, to me that builds the bridge between the two of us, and that's what I call empathy. That's a beautiful definition. Thank you very much. You know, as you think about being a writer, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours, and what makes them great in your eyes, Big Shirley? I was thinking about this because there were many people, and I sort of scuttled my list down to three. Mm-hmm. Um, this is in terms of my my age. When I was 15, I think it was Joni Mitchell. Um, Joni Mitchell, all right. She, yeah. All right. <laughs> no, she, she was the first time I understood about what being an artist was, and it was very personal, and like learning all her, all the lyrics, the poetic lyrics to her poems. So she was really important to me. And then certainly when I became a student of Sri Chinmoy, um, there's so many things about his poetry, but besides the the range and the you know the development of his poems, and I think because and he said this himself, he said that language would never be adequate. Poetry would never be adequate to express the height of his meditation, but yet. Of all the poets I've read, and I read his poetry every day for many different things, mm-hmm. I have the expression of that height that we, you know, of that meditative experience, and in in language that is so clear and powerful and unique is is something that's indescribable to me as a reader and as a you know, someone who uses his poetry for meditation. And I and, and the other person, I was very fortunate through the Society of Writers to become friends with the great um, Nigerian writer, Chinwa Achebe, who was also a poet, by the way. And, and to have someone um, that I could, ask, I could ask questions of about writing, I had once asked him if he felt like all poets needed to write, you know, the story of their life because I was kind of hesitating to write this series of poems. And he he said he he felt they did. And that sort of pushed me into this whole set of poems. So things like that, you know. Mm -hmm. I think those, those three... All right, very nice. So if you had to choose one of those three, if you can, or someone else that would serve as a poetic mentor, who would it be? Someone else? Or, or one of those three, or someone else. No, definitely Sri Chinmoy. Definitely Sri Chinmoy. Definitely Tell me more. Tell me more. I mean, he... He... Um, he 
developed, he inspired, encouraged me to be a poet, to write. I, the first poem I ever wrote was a poem. Um, we were on a trip, and we had an annual trip, and it was my first trip to Vietnam. And I wrote a poem. I think that was the first poem I wrote as an adult. And I gave it to him, and, and at some point, some point down the road, he said to me, with great, you know, affection, like like a father. And when did you become such a great poet? And I said, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of backed away. We called him Guru, and I said, you're the great poet, Guru. I'm not a great poet. <laughs> and but I knew at that moment, and from that point on, that was something I was meant to do and and should be doing. And and also. And then from that point on, he encouraged me in so many ways, and and also to be in his presence as a, as someone who was always creating and always um, to be in that environment and be part of of his creative work. Um, that was, you know, a constant stream of inspiration. So that most definitely. All right. What. What surprises you most about being a poet? Surprises me. I I think there are, I mean, I think it is the actual surprise in the poem. Okay. You know, when you're just taking this kind of journey with the poem and still trying to apply the things you, you do know. You know, making your choice of words or, or, you know, your intention of what you want to write about. And then that poem, you know, has its own life and it takes you to, to many surprising places um, of sometimes just of insight or resolution or um, I think, I think just in that creative process um, there is always some type of surprise you know right please share a poem this poem this poem is surprised me talking about surprises because I could hear myself performing this poem out loud as I was writing it and so I kind of wrote it with performance notes which maybe I'll read it's um, and I'll try, I, I've never read this poem out loud, so I'll, oh, wow. I'll try to some extent to follow my own directions. <laughs> um, okay, I like that. <laughs> it's called A Personal History of Guns in Seven Acts. Act One, Emphasize Irony. Technically, we were a weaponless family except for the souvenir knife my father brought from Saipan, unguarded atop the piano, nothing in the basement being off limits. It was rusty and old, and I played with it often, aware this was never mentioned or thought to be odd. Act two, stress the word afraid. For one summer at my synagogue day camp, I flailed in helpless wonder as I learned to swim, felt the tensility of a bowstring before the arrow hit its mark. But my mother, 
angrily forbade rifleery and took it up with the rabbi. Embarrassed but secretly relieved, at 10 years old, I was afraid to lie on my stomach and take aim. I was afraid to touch a gun. Act three, read very fast in one breath. Years after the fact, I learned my father, a security guard at Pathmark, had lost his job and subsequent pension, not because of age discrimination, because under a new ruling, he had refused to carry a gun. Act four, sing song, breezy, casual. Sipping coffee after breakfast in a South African parking lot, I watch white men with machine guns and padded nests emerge from their bulletproof brinks and form a circle around me. Above, from our hotel bank balcony, a few from an elite football team look on. Act five, self-absorbed to incredulous. Bored and recalcitrant on my first day of grand jury duty in Brooklyn, I was sitting through screening questions when asked, do you own a registered firearm, this being felony appropriate? More than a dozen hands go up. Among them are young women. I feel so naive. Act six, the eulogy. After the recent shootings in my neighborhood, bouquets of plastic flowers and candles rimmed the edge of Guzman Park. They were young. It was drug-related, not from the area. This is what we heard, and we asked nothing more. Act seven, final, no notes. I tell myself it is best to end with a prayer. Otherwise, I may lose my courage or forget to be wise. I may forget to love the beauty of this world. And that's the end of that poem. You know, as I listened to that piece, your voice was qualitatively different. There was a different resonance, a different kind of conviction when you shared that piece to me. So well, as I, I said, so then I, well, that's good. I mean, that, that, that's <laughs> a good. step towards achieving what I wanted to do, I think, with that poem, which is if I, I think it's really more a poem to be performed, and I would yes. try to do that again on, on another reading, you know, try to really incorporate Very nice. more of this. Well, my question, my question was going to be, well, I guess, yeah, what is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? I don't think there's enough of a relationship, really. I've been recording more poems for radio lately, so I hear myself. Um, yes, and and that's why I think that poem, this poem we, that I just read about guns was interesting, because um, I'd like to do more poems where I can work 
on my own directions and do more, you know, bring more of the different quality of your voice and more of your performance skills into 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 poems. So right now there's mm-hmm. just a kind of emerging, let's say, relationship. Well, just listening, I felt you have the gift to do it. Thank you. <laughs> you really, you really do. You really do. That was wonderful. You know, what I'd like to talk about now is your two books. The first one, and I've got a couple of questions about it, Happiness, the Delight Tree, an anthology of contemporary international poetry. Tell me all about it. Okay, let's see. Really, this po- this book came about um, because someone, um, the UN adopted a resolution which declared the 20th of March the annual International Day of Happiness. This was in June 2012, and it's an annual day. And I think um, I someone said we need more poems on happiness. We agreed. All right. I, I can't even, and I worked with two wonderful poets and uh, Liz, Elizabeth Lara and Daryl Alejandro Holness, and we each had poetry connections into different sort of spheres, and we just went out. It was just the most wonderful thing. I mean, really just went out seeking po- poets from all over the world, and we got you know, you know, imagine every day, you know, looking at your email and getting, you know, poems in and being acquainted with poets and and then the language aspect. I mean, proofreading was just torture, but I'm sure it was. Anyway, this poem, I mean, the title came, This I'll read you the title poem. This poem also was dedicated to Sri Chinoy, and it was really Daryl that came up with the title, Happiness and Delight Tree, from the dedication poem. Um, and the poem is The Roots of Delight Tree. Every human being in his soul's progress march will ultimately discover the roots of a delight tree that weave and unweave through the earthbound life. And this poem right now, I'm, and, and we were able to do so much with these, with these, with this book once it came out. It, it came, it was out. Um, we had two editions. We added new poets. Um, we went to. Um, book fairs and conferences and universities and met up with poets from respective countries in their countries. Um, It just was wonderful. It's still sold in the UN bookshop. And um, I still, you know, refer to it. Um, It was a really important part. I think also as a collaboration, it was really just a wonderful experience to work with Liz and Daryl and we remain friends and for each of us it was something special you know to have this project what did you learn about yourself editing this book 
I had more fortitude for <laughs> proofreading than I realized. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. It, no, it, it was, you know, it was a, um, it was a big vision, you know, and it was just kind of like, I think there was some great satisfaction in having this vision together and, and, you know, painstakingly to, to an extent putting it together. Um, and all, I don't know, I think I learned, you know, that I love the world, the poetic world. I think my, you know, I was gifted with this appreciation of poems from new poets and new countries and you know, languages that I'd never heard read aloud. Um, yeah. All right. You know, in terms, in your second book, you know, when I first heard the title, On Human Flourishing, there is a movie you made may know of it. I think it was 1934 with Betty Davis and Leslie Howard called On Human Bondage. I don't know why I thought about that when I saw On Human Flourishing. Now I want to know about human flourishing. Tell me everything. The poetry anthology. Well, um, I know the film you're referring to, but this this is quite to the contrary. Okay. We're, we're okay. flourishing. <laughs> you are. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, <laughs> that point needs to be made. Get, get okay. <laughs> um, this book, actually, I mean, there, there was, this has died down a bit, but I think when the International Day of Happiness was announced, there was also great happiness as a as a human right and studies, and that was very much to the forefront. I think I think the UN probably still um, releases the happiness report every year. So there are many people involved in looking at the different. Um, requirements, let's say, you know, of human life that led to happiness. And this was a book that was put together by a professor and his team who had been studying happiness. Um, and it divides, the book is divided up into different segments, um, which need or are necessary. Um, mm -hmm. to be happy. So there was wisdom, um, consciousness expansion, growth and engagement, related lists to the environment, flora and fauna, language inspiration, the imagination, romantic love and lust, and it goes on. And, um, so I, I was in touch with um, Professor Moore and he asked if I would submit some poems, which I did, and they appeared in this. And, and also, um, Sri Chinmoy's poems appear in this. And then sometimes the wonderful thing of this book is um, you can end up on a page, you know, with like um, Wendell Berry or E.E. E. Cummings or Whitman, you know, which is probably the only time in my life that that will happen. So that's kind of nice to look at. <laughs> You know, I'm thinking, base, it sounds like your interest, but it sounds like it's more than an interest in meditation is extremely important in your life. So based on that philosophy, 
How do we go about flourishing? How do we achieve that? Um, I think you have to make a sincere commitment to to your your inner self. You know, I mean okay. that comes initially from some type of inner cry we were talking about, or we call it aspiration. Um, and certainly that encompasses through through meditation. I mean, you learn to access, or you become more much more familiar with your soul and your heart and you can bring these things forward in your life and that in itself leads to insight and self-mastery and greater joy so that's that's really an essential part i think is to develop some practice you, you spend time in silence and you spend time with wow. getting to know your your real self, um, mm-hmm. which can be, you know, and and this this will prepare you, you know, it's like it, you it prepares you to meet the real world, and wow. and to face whatever it is you need, because you you obviously can't control what is going to happen out out there, but you certainly can be prepared for it. And um, there's a great joy in that, you know. There's a great joy in, you know, being being able to meet the world and and still offer the best. Try to offer the best of yourself every day. And and poetry too, because mm-hmm. it's an it's an art of paying attention. It. it it really it helps so much in just being aware in your awareness and keeping, keeping one from becoming careless and you know refining some of those skills that I very much wanted to develop. Oh, very nice. That your very, question? very nice. <laughs> yes, <laughs> beautifully stated. <laughs> Thank you. I knew I just threw that one at you, but <laughs> you have to listen blindly. I'm looking at these questions. <laughs> that question was on my sheet. No, <laughs> Do you have a poem, one of your poems from On Human Flourishing that you can share with us? Um. I do have a poem called Meditation. Okay, great. I love it. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. <laughs> Meditation. I am practicing being the horizon. Arms held wide, side to side, touching them. This way, the whole of me, the beating heart of me, trusts. I am practicing being perfect and so still, even a slip of paper or single leaf windswept by autumn makes a ruckus. From a distance, I assume I look crucified or exhilarated, but in fact, I am neither. I am 
as I have always wanted to be a single line stretched across the sky. It has all come to this. I am just above the dawn, the barking dog so very far away. That's meditation. Wow. <laughs> Beautiful. Wow. How would you, Bixone, classify your ability to write poetry as a creative gift or a creative art? Well, you need some nomenclature for the world. I think in the world it's an art. I think, personally, I feel it's a gift. It's a gift, you know, that you receive, that you're... It's 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 a gift that you cry for, in a sense. I, I hunger for it. And there's a great compassion that, you know, this is, I, I can receive something of this vast creation through some language. Do you live your life like it's a poem? Do I live my life as if... Yes, oh, I wish like I had this. <laughs> well, you, know, you see, I ask all kinds of questions. <laughs> you do. You're really, you're really just very much asking all kinds of questions. Um, you know, Somebody should have told you. I'm, Somebody should have told you. I'm inspired to do that. I don't, mm. you know, I'm sitting here and I'm laughing, to, you know, to a bit because, you know, I said I read these poems of Sri Chinmoy's every day, and, and I'm, I'm reading this particular series now, which was the last series he wrote. He, he, he never finished it, um, but it was meant, it's called 77,000 Servants Trees, and they're very, very short poems, and... Um, people, you know, speak of them as haiku. They're really not haiku, but I think it's because of the brevity. And you just asked me this question, and I was I was remembering a recent poem I read of his, which which talks about you know going out every day and living your life, you know, as as a poem. Um, and I, you know, when I read these things, I. I try to put them into practice or I try to be aware, ask myself the question, is this, am I doing this or what does it mean? Um, I don't really know what that means. I, I, I try to go out, as I said, prepared in, in that way, inwardly prepared and go out and, and look at the day as being new, you know, um, and try not to let my mind um, limit my experiences. I, I can practice that, you know, so that, mm -hmm. in a sense, is trying to live it closer to All right. home, you know. All right. <laughs> you know, you have shared, I plan to share a number of poems tonight. How many do you have left that you plan to share? Because we're going to do something a little different. Um, well, I have a poem I'm kind of fond of called Ears that I'd like to read. Well, okay. Well, can you share three? Can you share two, that one and two others? Sure. Um, I can share well, the reason that I ask, one. The reason I say this, 
I like to do something called like a poetic concert where I ask the poet to share at least three poems, no questions from me, just your voice. So it's a poetic concert. All right. I'm looking here. Uh, may I do two poems of mine and one poem of Street and Moines? Would you mind if I did yes. that? Yes, yes. That'd be perfect. Okay, so I'll read um, a poem called Ears. And I'll read sort of an old poem that I came across recently, but I kind of admired the spirit of it. So I'll throw in an old poem. And then I'll end with, I think, my favorite poem of Three Chin which I think has, to me, like the most beautiful closing lines of of any poem. I, I really don't, still don't know what they mean. But. So this poem is called Ears. I'm uh, a very proud, great aunt to my first great nephew. And this poem has to do with my first visit to him. And it also coincided, you know, about the same time I went to the Barnes Foundation and I stood in front of these magnificent masterpieces. Um, And I particularly fell in love with this one Russian painter named Soutine, who I refer to one of his paintings in the poem. It's a painting of a young boy, a pastry chef, who has very big ears. This is kind of my poem, I think, about the future, in a sense. Ears. As a child, I sat with my grandfather and examined him while he slept, especially his long, aging ears and little tufts of hair growing from their fleshy mounds, which, like the rest of them, I found wondrous. At three weeks old, Charlie's ears appear fully formed, unlike his eyes, which do not focus, and will likely change from cloudy blue tear ducts, which cannot yet weep liquid. My thoughts somewhat scientific, having recently watched a perfect giraffe fall from the womb of its mother, then up within minutes on spindle-stick legs, as amply prepared by nature to run as Charlie is to hear. Will he have famous ears like Barack Obama? Will his ears be well-proportioned or oversized and beyond him, as they are in this reproduction of Soutine's Le Petitier, the pastry chef that sits before me? Soutine, who painted through two wars, in thick, expressive slabs of color, rumored to still hold moisture. Art these days is a prayer that is working. I say one now to the God of new spring grass and purple flower, but struggle wind, hear my own ears. Let him grow up in a peaceful world. The next poem 
It's a very old poem I wrote. And and there's a little funny story. I, I was in New Zealand, and I was showing off my poems to a New Zealand poet. And <laughs> most most of them were very bad. <laughs> and I, I, and this poem I read, and she, she said, after she was quite quiet, because it was obvious that they were bad poems I was reading. She said, she said, uh, she said, now that is a poem. So this is the poem that she said that was a poem. <laughs> Two suppositions about a tree. It could have been the storm, the rough, ragged cold, like the brawny arms of a man might have with clumsy force, torn it limb from limb, or the wind, all huff and bluster, could have shouted the living daylights from a tree too young for kindling. Then again, the scene of the crime was suspicious. Teens, presumably, by the junk food remains, had eaten well, and perhaps a diet of chips and artificial drink had fueled a rage a high octane needing to take a life range. And within eyeshot, that tree was fodder. Small and vulnerable, goofy, with gawky, spindling arms too long for its torso. It stood its ground among garbage cans on shale rock and scruffy grass, daring, and this could have been the key, daring to think itself worthy. And I'll end with this poem by Sri Chinmoy, which I said, I think this is a, a poem from a collection called My Flute, and it remains my favorite poem, I think because of the last stanza. Between nothingness and eternity, barren of events, rich in pretensions, my earthly life, obscurity, my real name, holy unto myself I exist. I wrap no soul in my embrace. No mentor worthy of my caliber have I. I am all alone between failure and frustration. I am the red thread between nothingness and eternity. And that's the end of my three poems. Wow. All right. Thank you. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Fantastic. My last question to you tonight, and we'll end. Is Why it doesn't poets write for a million reasons? <laughs> I know you want to go take a nap. Some, <laughs> some write primarily to speak a message to the audience. Others write because to stay silent is not an option. Why, my friend, do you write? Can you can you repeat the poem? I mean, the yes, question yes. again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Writers and poets write for a myriad of reasons. Some write primarily to speak a message to the audience. Others write pri- others write because to stay silent is not an option. Why do you write? I write, I think, to make sense of 
I'm right to make sense of the world. And I write to understand myself and my place in the world. There are so many conversations that you can't have. Um, there's not time. And there's so many things mm-hmm. happening so quickly. And I know mm-hmm. that I'm going to sit down and I'm going to have that, the chance to, to understand something. And that understanding, I think, is my way of being of service or loving the world and, and loving myself. And that's, that's essential for life, for my life. Very <laughs> Oh, wow. Where can listeners find your work? Where can listeners find my work? Um, well, I mean, I think if you Google my name, you can find mm-hmm. some some things. I mean, um, I have a small chapbook that was printed. There are other poems. Um, so I I think that's I think that's probably the best way. Um, all right, all right. How can listeners stay in touch? Do listeners want to stay in touch? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You just never. <laughs> this show is worldwide, so you never know. <laughs> I mean, if people, I send if out information want... to, to two hundred and fifty thousand people a week, so you never know who may want to stay in touch. Well, I mean, I can, you know, I can offer. I have an email if people want to write. Mm-hmm. Um, I can give my email address. I or they think. could contact me. Is that better? Could you yeah, I think maybe if they okay. contact you, and then you can contact okay. me. Fantastic. So what's next? Where do you go from here? There's a couple of projects um, that I started working on I know I want to work on. One is a book of poems, um, many of the poems that I wrote over the last couple of years through the pandemic and, and other poems from a manuscript that really needs to go somewhere. So one of the things is to put a book of poems together. And the other thing which is I'm, I'm excited about, I only did this once. Um, I did mm-hmm. a complete poem play using Sri Chamoy's poetry. It was a full production you know it's very collaborative we had music we had you know stage sets we had actors we had costumes we had lighting um a few times a year many of his students gather uh, for various celebrations and it's it's a really wonderful opportunity also to showcase you know prepare new work um, and I, I got really inspired. I had heard this piece of music um, mm-hmm. on, the, on the theme of liberation. And I thought, I want to do something on liberation and um, inner revolution. And I also, you know, I wanted, I mean, the last, the last play we did, it, I only had done one. It was called Into the World. And um, it was really fun too to incorporate humor you know to find which I think is really important um, I I love comedy and 
and you know a way of finding humor um, mm-hmm. in Sri Chinmoy's poetry too, and and putting it into a piece which is, you know, I tend to be quite serious, uh, so <laughs> I, I look I look to comedy. I love you know I love comics. I think I admire them. I think they're very they're brave and you know, truthful, and I think we really need humor. So to say humor, my only savior. So I'm, I'm kind yes. of looking forward to to that, um, to having a play ready for next August. All right. Well, I'd like to thank you for being my guest tonight. You know, I was thinking as you were sharing your work this evening that your soul, S-O-U-L, to me, comes through Every poem. Well, that's that's such a lovely thing to say. I mean, that that has real meaning for me. Um, well, so thank you I don't so say much. things that and, I don't mean. So I, I really mean that. Uh, I really do. And I'd like to invite you to come back sometime when you're ready in 2023 to continue reading your work, whether it's from your manuscript, your new book. From your play, <laughs> I just want to hear your voice again. Oh, I, I'd be I'd be delighted. I really would. Yeah. And if you wanted to bring someone with you, three or four people to share that, you know, whatever, we can talk about it. Okay. I mean, are you still would this would this be also uh, a call a call in? Yes, everything is calling. You ever yes. do everything's calling? Okay. Yes. Okay, Everything is called. Yeah, maybe maybe we could do maybe the play would develop and we could do some of the some of the play actually. Yes, that would be fantastic. Oh, that already makes me happy. Good. <laughs> that already makes me happy. So I'm we'll happy stay in too. touch. You're happy, I'm happy, great. <laughs> good. <laughs> good. Well, I want to say good night to you. I wish you nothing but the best. And as I said, 2023, hopefully you'll be back. And uh, I want to say to our listening audience, as I share with you every week, thank you and let poetry ring throughout the world. Good night, everybody. Take care. Good night. Thank you, Michael. Good night. Yes. <laughs> Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com.